The Jerry Springer Podcast, Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, is brought to you by the Ludlow City Bus Company. Hi, I'm Gene Galvin, and I ride the Ludlow City Bus. I ride it in the morning, afternoon, and night, to church, to the grocery, to my proctologist, even to my monthly meetings with the probation officer. It's easy to do. When the door opens, I walk up the stairway, drop my token into the slot, and take my seat by the big window to watch life roll by. So if you're like me and have had your dreams crushed by the cold, competitive American system, then leave car driving to the oily hucksters and cheaters and ride with me on the Ludlow City Bus. Remember our motto, if it's not on our route, then you really don't need to go there. Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the star of our show, Jerry Springer. Oh, oh my word. Holy cow. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Unbelievable. It, it, it is. This whole thing's unbelievable. It is. Yes. Yeah. Hey, uh, by the way, we're going to hear in a, a few minutes uh, from a wonderful uh, group, the Cincinnati Folk Singer and yes. his Uptown Band. They're very good. They do mic checks before we start, and so we get a little preview, and these guys are really good, as all of our musical guests are. And also, Jerry, in a little bit, is going to talk more about Pete Rose, Pete Rose pops into the news periodically. He's back in again recently, and uh, Jerry has pretty interesting uh, theory about that whole controversy. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I, I wanted to mention something, Jerry. Um, something happened uh, to a relative of mine oh, and my no, uncle Steve. I, didn't know I, what. I think I may have mentioned this to you last summer. It's very tragic. My uncle Steve uh, drowned in a swimming situation in Hilton Head Island was down there, and it's horrible. He's down there with his family, and uh, he's swimming in the ocean. And you and I have been there. We've been to Hilton Head Island. Well, yeah, we with our families. We used to vacation there it's every one summer. It's a idyllic place. Can you imagine how horrible it is? You go down there with your family, and that uh, that horrific event happens. And what happened was what happened? He, well, Gene, he got caught. <laughs> he got caught in a riptide. You know what that is, Jerry? A riptide is when weird things turbulence in the ocean it pulls you out more than yeah. it lets you go back yeah. in and he was drawn out to sea and quickly and this is the horror of riptides before you know it you're in over your head so to speak metaphorically yeah. because you can't fight your way back and this is your uncle steve my uncle steve and my uncle steve was uh caught out there he, by the way uh he's evangelical was he oh. drowned in the situation but he's evangelical oh, yeah. very spiritual and that speaks to what happened he was out in the ocean fight, trying to fight his way back but he never gave up faith and and by the way amazingly a industrial boat came up I guess it was in one of the shipping lanes and they called down to him and and I heard this I thought my god this is wonderful and they called down and said we're gonna pull you on board and he said I I please do not help me God will save me and he, he refused to get on the boat, oh. and they argued with him, and eventually oh. they threw up their hands and they left. Shortly after that, lifeguards saw what was going on. They sent a helicopter out, and they dropped down a ladder, and they called down on a bullhorn to my Uncle Steve, grabbed the ladder 
we're going to pull you up and save you. And he said, please do not. You may leave. God will save me. Then a a, a, uh, porpoise came up, a dolphin. A dolphin. You know how dolphins talk. So he was talking dolphin talk with him. And the dolphin said, get on my back. I will take you to shore. And he said, no, God will save me. You do not have to help me. God will save me. Well, then, shortly after that, hypothermia and exhaustion, he died. He drowned. Oh. He went to heaven, Jerry. He he did go to heaven. He He was evangelical. He saw God. And he said to God, I can't believe he said this. It sounds so like my Uncle Steve. How did you know? I got a bone to pick with you, he said to God. And God said, What's up? And he says, I just drowned. You didn't save me. And God turned to him and he said, Dude, I sent you a boat, a helicopter, and a dolphin. What else do you want me to do? The whole time, I'm trying to think, did I ever meet your Uncle Steve? <laughs> no, he died, he died before you were to have met. You were to have yeah. met him at the next party I had at my house. Well, but if you he never went to heaven, him. I'm not going to get to meet him. No, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking, too. Hey, by the way, yeah. one time, uh, Bonnie and I, yes, we your, got a call from wife. you. My first wife, Bonnie, and I, we got a call from you. And, sh- and you said, hey, um, I'm doing the Broadway show <laughs> oh, Chicago. Right. In New York City, yeah. like on Broadway. Yeah. Now, yeah. all kidding aside, you yeah. have to admit, it's an unbelievable life you're having where you've been a politician, you've been a news anchor, you have this crazy TV show, and you have performed for what, like a week or two on Broadway? It was uh, three weeks on Broadway, and it was wow. two months in the West End in London, and then there was the national tour a bit. But That's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, tell so, us, please, yeah. first of all, what part did you play? I was In the musical Chicago, I was Billy Flynn, uh, you know, the lawyer. And in the movie, Richard Gere played it, so they were looking for someone equally handsome. And by the way, Failing Jerry, to find that, they asked me if I would do it. People probably don't know this, and again, it's hard to figure out when we're joking, when we're not. This is not a joke. You are an attorney. Yeah. You are an attorney. Yeah. A, a Northwestern Law School, which is one yeah. of the best law schools in America. So it's fitting that you played that character. Well, B- Billy Flynn, on a serious note, it's, uh, you know, I can carry a tune, but I'm obviously not a singer. But you can play the role Billy Flynn without being a great singer because that's it's a lot of the three songs that you sing are within a very easy range and it's almost talking as much as singing, and uh, you know because Richard Gere isn't a singer either, and uh, but it's a great role. I mean, it is a great role. We saw it, by the way. It was very, and I'm again not kidding. We were very entertained by it. It's a it was great very cool. Mus- it, it's a great musical, and it, it was a fun part to play. But I, and this is God's truth. Yep. I have never, ever, ever been so frightened as I was every night before going on. And didn't I help you to prepare for you, that in my own way? You are the reason that I almost threw up every night. The heck did I do? This it's is like, a, like that session with God. Story. I mean, I sent you yeah. the script and the, I told you, you know. I'm in rehearsals, okay? Rehearsals are, you know, for about f- three months, really, you're rehearsing before you get to go on. I was in rehearsals. And, you know, Gene and I were best friends, and so we go out with our wives for dinner. And one night at dinner, Gene is telling me this story about when he did uh, regional theater here. Yes. And uh, what was the play? Uh, I think it might have been uh, the show Tea and Sympathy, and I forget who wrote that. But, uh, yeah. Tea and Sympathy. 
And Gene was in the play, and Gene's telling the story, which was a true story, not joking around, about he's on stage, and all of a sudden he froze. Forget Forgot my lines. Forgot his lines. They had pages still to go. And he's on the stage with other actors, and they're waiting for his line. And Gene just freezes, and then simply walks off the stage and leaves them. Yeah. Well, I did. I said, all right, I'll see you guys later. I said... (laughs) I said what fit, and then I exited. I just exited a couple of pages early. they're standing there in the middle of the play. What do you do? They had to, re- they had to rewrite the play. And the so spot. I'm thinking about, and I, as he's telling that story, I'm thinking with myself, I'm saying, Jesus, you know, I could draw a blank. That's how you plant it, isn't it, psychologically? So now, plant that. every plant night, that. I thought about what if I forget my lines. Billy Flynn is a large role. I mean, you got a lot of lines. You got a little bit of dancing. Some singing, and but you got a lot of lines. You're in a lot of scenes. And the entrance is one of the great entrances in theater because it's about 10 minutes into the musical, and all of a sudden the stage turns black. There's a huge staircase in the middle, and at the top of the staircase suddenly there's a spotlight, and there in this top hat, and there's Billy Flynn with his cane. And, you know, you come out and say, are you ready? Are you? I mean, it's a huge. Oh, and the chorus, the, the women are singing, uh, Billy, 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 you know, and it's building up to this. And all of a sudden, the spotlight comes on and there you are right away after saying, are you ready? Is everybody ready? Is everybody here? Hit it. And then you start dancing down the steps, singing the song. Well, if you've never been in theater before and you know, I have. I mean, I'm on stage all the time, but I'm always playing myself. It is frightening, and because you got to think right away. The spotlight's in your eyes. Don't trip on the steps. Remember your steps. What you're supposed to do. Remember the words to the song. And so, all of a sudden, you you hear him chanting, "Billy, Billy, Billy," and then you and for those about 15 seconds of that chanting, and it's pitch black, and you're at the top of the stick, and no one can see you yet. And honestly, I am physically shaking and even getting dizzy, like I'm going to faint every wow. single night. That's how scary it is. And thankfully, every night, I, I didn't uh, you know, get the words. How yeah. close, and I've asked, uh, I was just saying that my daughter is a professional performer, though, yes. and she tried out for a Broadway show and didn't get the part, but so her performing's at a lower level, because let's say Broadway is like the NBA or movie making. In fact, it's worse. I would say that, that Broadway or uh, in London, et cetera, you're in front of, or a live TV show, you're in front of a lot of people, a lot of ideas go through your head. What if I can't think of the next thing or I pass out or whatever? Right. That's classic performance anxiety, throwing up, passing out. Imagine the pressure that those performers have, but maybe they get over it. Could you sense from the people you were performing with who were the pros? Yeah. Do they walk out there totally relaxed? Or did yeah. you ever ask anybody? They're, they're, they, they are. First of all, they're professionals. They've done and it they many are times. In their, it's just like me going out and doing a show. And you're never nervous before that. I, this is the truth. I mean, you know, there are things that scare me in life. I'm not a courageous person, but standing in front of a crowd has never been an issue. And I do it every day of my life, whether it was politics or the news or my show. So I'm always in front of people. And honestly, that never, ever makes me nervous. But everything I've ever done, I'm always being me. Yeah. 
I'm always playing, you know, whether it's my show or um, Dancing with the Stars, America's Got Talent, I'm always being myself. So therefore, you know, there's nothing I have to remember. You know, if I want to tell a stupid joke, I tell a stupid joke. So there's no pressure. It's easy. And then when I talk politics, obviously I'm talking what I believe. So therefore, why get nervous about that? It's what you believe. But this was the first time I ever was on stage having to be somebody else. And that... And so I was like a rookie. It'd be like someone doing my show for the first time. I mean, I was totally efficient. And remembering pages of memorized words, too. Yeah. One time, my proudest moment was one time I actually saved one of the actors. It's a trial scene, and Amos, the character Amos, is on the witness stand. And I'm asking him questions, and he's supposed to answer. All of a sudden, he freezes. Really? Didn't remember his line? Right. Oh my God. And I'm thinking, so all of a sudden, thankfully, you know, I knew his lines because when you, when you study for a play, you have to know everyone's lines because when someone like you walks off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's why I wasn't worried about him. You got to be able to pick it up. So yeah. I knew what his lines were. So I said, do you mean to say, yeah. and then I would do his line. And then yeah. I kept doing that. And of course, the rest of the cast is kind of laughing because they yeah. know what's going on. And then you mean to say, <laughs> mean to say yeah. I don't know if anyone caught on. Well, that sounds kind of familiar. I'm yeah. trying to remember, and yeah. that's what those guys did. Jump to Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Again, uh, you've had this great life because uh, Bonnie and I have been able to sort of stand and watch this, and we've uh, loved just watching it happen. So you went on Dancing with the Stars. And did you have that, because again, dancing is not what you do day to day, and you had to remember choreography, and you had to go in front of millions and millions of people, that is a yeah. huge audience, and not fall down or look like a klutz or whatever. Did that provoke a lot of anxiety? You know, people are always asking me um, about my show, and don't I ever get scared with, you know, everything that's going up on stage and the fighting that breaks out and the throwing of the cake and all that kind of stuff? Do I ever really get scared? And uh, the answer is, well, one, no, we have security there. But two, the time, only time that I've ever been scared in anything having to do with show business was a bunch of years ago, in fact, I think it was nine years ago, that I was on Dancing with the Stars. That was fear. And a person who best understands how afraid I was to suddenly be dancing live in front of 30 million people on a given night um, is now my partner. Um, well, she's not my partner now. She was my partner when I danced. And, uh, you know, oh, to be her partner. But anyway, here she is, um, and we have her on the phone now, the lovely, the incredibly talented Kim Johnson. Hey, Kim. Hey, Jerry. How are you? Oh, I am fine now that I'm talking to you. So first of all, uh, you know, thanks for talking yes. to us here. But um, uh, congratulations to you. Tell me about this, this Robert, this new man in your life, which I'm just getting over, <laughs> but okay. Tell me about him. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up having the best time dancing together. You know how stressful it is and then how exciting it is so you go through all these emotions and you really get to know someone so quick and he can really um, dance i mean yeah. you, you you taught him how to dance yeah he can he, he can dance i mean he's a businessman he hasn't ever danced before yeah, I um that feeling. so you know like <laughs> the like you you know you were out of your comfort zone and he was too but yeah. um you know i have to say we're still you know seeing each other off the dance floor and it's 
It's amazing. It's really good. Well, that's good. And and only he's a very lucky man, and I'm sure he's a real nice guy, and I look forward to meeting him. What I wanted to talk to you about on you know on this podcast here is yeah. we got to tell – you know, I tell people, and I'm afraid I may sometimes embellish how it happened – but you correct me because I want to tell people how we met, how you found out that I was your partner. I mean, you had just won. <laughs> you had just won Dancing with the Stars in Australia, right? That's right. So you were on Dancing with the Stars yeah. and you won. And every, you, you get I the did. trophy and people are cheering. And this is, this is like a wonderful moment for you. And now, and this is the part I may embellish, <laughs> I say that one of the prizes was that you would now get to come to America and be on America's Dancing with the Stars. But that it could have been that you had signed that contract anyway, had you? Or how, how did it turn out that you were going to be on Dancing with the Stars in America? Well, you know, I did win the show. I'd done three seasons of Dancing with the Stars in the yeah. show before I came to America. Yes. And one of the producers came over and he was showing some footage of me and my one and stuff and but then I got the phone call, and they're like, "We'd love to have you on the American show." And you so got all, all exci- kind of- yeah, you got all excited, right? Well, the funny thing was, Jerry. You know, I obviously didn't know I was having you. They don't tell you who you have. Well, that's you the point. The you had no it's idea. That's why you were excited. This had you been to America yeah, before? I no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've told this story a few times, Jerry. I yeah. did think that I was going to get like George Clooney or Brad Pitt or something. And, I just had that in my head. Oh, boy, did know. you luck out. <laughs> well, then I remember I I had that in my mind. I remember being on the plane looking at, like, you know, Star Magazine and seeing, oh. like, a picture of Leonardo DiCaprio. You and going, thought oh you were going to get one of those guys? Oh, and then, and then I walk in the door and you're standing <laughs> And I remember what you said. This is not an exaggeration. You walked into, and I had no, you know, obviously I was nervous as could be. Now I'm going to meet the person I have to, you know, that I'm going to be dancing with. I'm afraid, I'm nervous to be on the show anyway. I didn't think this was a real good idea. And the door, they won't tell yeah. me. I keep saying, who is it? Who is it? They say, we can't tell you. And I, the truth is, I probably wouldn't have known you anyway because you're in Australia. The door opens, no. you walk in, you look at me with this big smile, and all of a sudden, the smile kind of, dis- you know how the smile suddenly disappeared, and you said, Jerry no. Springer? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Jerry Springer? That's exactly oh, what you I remember said. You, I said that, and you looked at me, and you said, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. I apologized right away, because I thought, oh, I'm what sorry. a downer. This was your big shot, oh, no. and get this. Clumsy old guy. Oh, but it was the best, Jerry. Honestly, people ask me what my favorite season was. Who, who was my favorite partner? And honestly, Jerry, you're amazing. You were just so great. Especially to have for my first partner, it was just so special. And it really was. We were had so the best time. That. We really did. It, and and we kind of. I mean, you really did make it much more comfortable for me because when I started, honestly. It's like you spend five weeks, well, maybe four weeks, I learning know. the first dance. I think the first dance was the cha-cha. And, I mean, four weeks yeah. to learn the cha-cha, you would think I'd finally get it. So I was real nervous for that first show. But then from then on, every week that they keep you Remember on, we had the quick steps. 
Oh, we had the quick step the next week. Oh, the that next was week. a killer. Oh, it was a killer. We went from the kicks, a quick step to the tango. And then I was worried. That was a good one. You were James Bond in that, remember? I, I was James. Well, I was trying to be James Bond. Here's the scary <laughs> part. This was the scary part, which, which people at home have to understand. If this is not your comfort zone, and you've, you know, everyone no. sings in the shower. So singing in front of a group of people, you can kind of do, even if you're not a good singer, it's just funny. But dancing is really People don't like to, if they're not comfortable, particularly with their own body, they're not real comfortable gyrating in front. You feel like a fool. The scariest And then moment, you have to wear those outfits, too. Oh, those, well, they purposely put me in stupid outfits. That was a plot. What about the Paso Doble? That was my favorite. I remember oh. I, I, I left you for a second. I looked back, and you're doing something I'd never seen before. Well, I was like, what is she doing? Yes. Well, here's what <laughs> happened with that. The weekend before we did the Paso Doble, we go to a bullfighting ring in Northern California because the, the whole yes. Paso Doble is a dance where you, in a sense, pretend you're a bullfighter and you're, you know, with a cape and the whole yes. bit. So they wanted, you know, we filmed mm-hmm. something. So now I'm scared because I got to go fight a bull. And they told me, don't worry, it's a small bull. Well, I don't care how small the bull is. Remember, we were thinking, because we saw the bulls in the pen, and we said, this is crazy. I'm really physically frightened. The bull's going to come out, because the people were in the stands, right? This was like during an intermission, and they were going to film it. And you, you know, you can't cry if you're a grown person and you're on television. There's no crying (laughs) on television. And then this bull came out, but the bull was like only three or four days old. It could hardly stand, remember? It was, oh. it was a baby. It could hardly even walk. It was yes. so and funny. And then all of a sudden I got my confidence up. Now when we did the dance, yep, the did. dance opened. I'm wearing this <laughs> stupid outfit. And it opened. I'm wearing like the Toreador outfit. And then I'm, yes. supposed, I'm holding a guitar. And I'm supposed to take the guitar <laughs> and smash it against the steps and then start the dance. But of course, the choreography, which, by the way, every week you design, you choreograph whatever we would do. I was supposed to bang the guitar once, and then start the dance with you. Well, the guitar was yeah. fixed so that it would break instantly. It was like one of these breakaway chairs. I was holding the guitar the wrong side, so when I banged it, it didn't break. Like a fool, oh, instead so of funny. carrying on with the dance, I'm up there banging away trying to get it to break while the music's going on. <laughs> you're dancing around the floor, and then all of a sudden it hit me. Oh, my God, I'm supposed to be dancing with her. And then, of course, you can Oh, never it was so funny. Oh, it, it was, was hysterical. Katie. I thought we were gone that week, but we somehow got through, remember? We did. Well, Katie, um, uh, my daughter, she called after the show and said, Dad, we're coming to bring you home because she said, there's no more. You know, we're going to be voted off. Yeah, we weren't voted off. We, I think people just kept voting for me because they wanted to hurt me. But you were, you were amazing how you... But the finest oh. moment was uh, when we did the walls for Katie's wedding. Oh, that was my favorite yeah. moment. And when I looked up at you and tears are coming down your cheeks at the beginning of the dance, because, you know, they show that video well, because first. People, well, the thing is, no one knows. We don't see those packages. 
like there's little videos beforehand. So that was the first time you and I had seen it. And then I I saw it and I, I was, you know, watching the story and the love for you and Katie. And then I see Katie sitting there looking at you and you were looking at her. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, that was a pretty So I just started crying. Yeah. And so, and, uh, but we got through it. That was, uh, truthfully, that was my favorite dance because then at the end, Katie came up. So that was really cool. I really loved that. Uh, that was yeah, it's still one of the best moments I think on Dancing at the Start. It was so genuine and beautiful. Tell me about your book now, and 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 by the way, that was one of the most fun experiences I've had in my life. And, and you have just oh, you were great. It's a, such a great memory, and you know so. You know, oh, Jerry, it was you. the we best. Honestly, I had the best time with you. It was unbelievable. Every day we just had so much fun. Well, now tell me, yeah, tell me about your book. Uh, yeah, I, I can't believe I'm, I'm going to be a, a published author. It's crazy. I've got a book coming out on January 19th. Yes. And uh, it's called The 5678 Diet. So it's a diet book, exercise, you know, healthy lifestyle, motivational book. And, um, yeah, there's so many great recipes in there. There's lots of exercises that I do when I'm not on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, what I live by. Being a dancer, you have to stay fit and, and exercise, but it's all about the diet as well. You have to. I know that you love your cheeseburgers. Yes. I do too. Yes, <laughs> I, right. I was uh, the only one that kept eating cheeseburgers during rehearsals, where no one else. You did. That was your thing. <laughs> so funny. But we were dancing like six, seven hours a day. You know what I mean? So you can kind of get away with it. But now I'm a judge on the Australian version. I'm not dancing as much, so I had to sort of change my diet. I want to push it here, so how can people get your book when it comes out? You said January well, 19th. Well, it's going to be in, it's going to be in Barnes & Noble um, oh, stores, perfect. and it's on Amazon. Oh. Yeah, it's going to be on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I'm doing a book signing at The Grove uh, on the 20th of, sorry, the 24th of January. I'm um, doing that at, at uh, the Grove at Barnes & Noble, and I'm doing one in Tribeca at Barnes & Noble on the 20th. Good for so you. that'll be really fun. Oh, and um, there's also some, there's also great fun stories in there. You're in the book. Oh. Uh, oh. You know, there's sort of behind-the-scenes stories of Dancing with the Stars, like yeah. what really goes on behind the scenes. So people, I think if you're a fan of Dancing with the Stars, you'll find it really interesting because I sort of, uh, there's a few little juicy stories in there too about Robert and I. And uh, stuff. Uh, 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 oh, about Robert. Okay, okay. <laughs> All of a sudden, my heart went. What? What? <laughs> what, what, what? That wasn't me. No. So here's what I'm. <laughs> so what I'm thinking is I'm I'm, I'm going to read the book, and I am going to get in shape, and then by following yeah. whatever your book says. Well, I'm in shape now. I mean, a circle's a shape. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna Oh my gosh. So I'm gonna read your book and then you will judge whether after doing everything that you said I'm in shape. So when you write your second book, I can be the before and the after. I love that. That's a great yeah, totally being my before and after. Yeah, That's let, amazing. Let's not what a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> but let's not tell anyone about the idea just yet because I'm thinking about it. Now if I don't do it, there's gonna be such pressure, I can't give up the cheeseburgers. Write a book how you can eat a cheeseburger and still be in shape. Everything in moderation, Jerry. And remember remember that time when when we did a spray time on you, we were doing a samba? 
and I and I said you've got to get into character more. So we <laughs> <laughs> we got you down to board shorts and gave you a spray tan. You're in good shape. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that's right. I forgot. It's the only time I ever got a spray tan. It was at the swimming yep. pool of the was it the Beverly Wilshire? Beverly Wilshire Hotel. Yeah. Regent Beverly Wilshire, right? And and and, <laughs> and I, yeah, you yeah. I was wearing these ridiculous shorts, and then I got an overall yes. spray tan. Yeah. Oh boy, I was ripped. Well, actually, my shorts ripped, but that was it. Yeah. Anyway. Oh gosh, we had some good times. We really did. Well, you are the best. You are so kind to be talking to us on the show, and we're going to go out and buy your book. Oh, and and uh, I hope you come back and do more seasons on Dancing with the Stars. I know, that'd be great. And the next time I'm in L.A., I'll give you a call. I want to meet Robert. Yes, he'd love to meet you, too. Great deal. <laughs> You're the best. Thanks a lot, Ken. Oh, love you. So Take good it easy. talking to you, Jerry. Okay. Love you, too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That was great talking to her. One thing we didn't mention, though, which was kind of funny, is every week, you know, Kim would choreograph the dance for me, and every week she had me end the dance in the same corner of the dance floor. And only after several weeks did I figure out, I always ended there because that's where the paramedics sat. <laughs> you know? That's good. So that was. Yeah. Really, so that really. was. So she knew what. <laughs> she, she knew. She protected me. She knew. Hey, let me ask you something uh, yep. about Pete Rose. And again, we, the, our, our episodes run, um, and some people hear these archives, so they don't necessarily hear them attached to when an event happened. But Pete Rose has been in the news a number of times in recent months and uh, recently just got some news that the current baseball commissioner is uh, not inviting him back into baseball and that kills him for the foreseeable future in the Hall of Fame. Well, what is your take as this progressively happens again and again? And I've heard you uh, talk some theory that's kind of new, and I'd like you to share it with our audience about Pete Rose. Yeah, um, understand, it's it's always a big issue for people here in the Cincinnati and the tri-state area because Pete's from here, and he was really a hometown boy making good. And it's very rare in life, if you think about it, that you ever see someone starting in high school and all of a sudden grow to become, in your town, the very best in the world at doing what he does. You know, you know some people that really made good, but they moved away. Yeah, Here, we literally saw a high school kid become the most prolific hitter in the history of uh, American baseball. And so we saw it. So therefore, what a moment it was when he beat Ty Cobb's record. And interestingly enough, you know, it was on 9-11, but it was 1985. And, you know, when he got it at Riverfront Stadium, which was what the ballpark was called at the time. I mean, it was just a phenomenal moment. The whole town got in it. In fact, ironically, that was the first time I had ever been to a talk show because the next day, Phil Donahue came to Cincinnati and I think he did it at the Coliseum. He did his show with Pete Rose as the guest. And that was the first time I'd ever been to it. Which is the big it. arena in Cincinnati, yeah. or what it was called at that yeah, time. I just thought about right. That's the first time. Yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, so, uh, so we all get invested. Those of us you know, who have lived for long years in the Cincinnati area, we get invested in this. Now, and you know the story, uh, Pete gambled um, and, in fact, wound up not telling the truth. He did bet on baseball, so he was uh, banned from the game. And in order to get into the Hall of Fame, the rules of the Hall of Fame is you are not eligible for the Hall of Fame if you have been banned from baseball. 
And so the argument here is everyone's saying, you know, in Cincinnati, people are saying, wait a second, this is one of the greatest hitters of all time, certainly got more hits than anyone else in history. How can you keep him out of the Hall of Fame? If you want to ban him from baseball, that's one thing. And, you know, there are people in the Hall of Fame that in their personal lives did horrible things and, you know, major crimes, you know, even shooting people and uh, within baseball, using steroids, cheating, all kinds of things, and they're not banned. And the only one who gets banned is Pete Rose. Well, the reason, and it goes to our view of sports in America, and maybe in other countries too, it dawned on me that the reason Pete Rose is banned from baseball is because the one crime that baseball cannot, that any sport cannot tolerate is someone not trying to win. In other words, if you go to any sporting event and you think that the contestant or the player or whatever is throwing the match, then all of a sudden it takes all the joy out of it if you know that they may be on the take and not winning. So that is the reason, that is the unforgivable sin in Major League Baseball. If you bet on baseball, you have then created the doubt that the player is trying his best, or she, whatever the sport is, to win. And that takes away the whole sport. They can't permit that. So steroids, for example, well, that's in a sense cheating, right? But with steroids, the rationale of baseball is the guy was trying to win. They you weren't using steroids to throw the game. And that's the point of sports in America. There are some exceptions, but I would say generally, and I fall into that category, so I'm pleading guilty. Sports is about, no matter what we tell our children when you're in soccer, everybody's a winner. It's about winning. You want your team to win. You get pissed off if they lose. It is not just what a wonderful recreation to watch your home football team. If they lose, you are ticked off. If your coach made a ridiculous call with two minutes left in the game, the newspapers are filled with and, and talk radio, people calling up, screaming and yelling. I'm a perfect example of that. I love the Yankees. And as a child, I loved the Yankees because we won all the time. And when they lost, I was in a bad mood. And I don't want to root for a team that doesn't win. I mean, I'm telling the truth. We vicariously enjoy sports because we can be physically tough. We can win. And if we don't, we're angry, but there's no consequence. It's not our real life. You know, it's a vicarious enjoyment. I was a, I'm the most pacifist person you'll meet, and I loved boxing. When I was a kid, I, not to box myself, but I loved, well, you know, later on, Muhammad Ali. But when I was a kid, I loved Ingemar Johansson. And I even memorized the fight on the radio. I mean, I loved, because in my mind, I was this tough guy, and I was, it's a vicarious enjoyment. We got to win. We got to win. So Pete Rose, now where the commissioner of baseball blew it is when he banned Pete Rose again and said, no, I'm not letting you win. The reason he gave was that Pete is still gambling that he hasn't reformed, and that is hypocrisy because baseball is not against the concept of gambling. Baseball makes a lot of money from the, the fantasy games, the fantasy sports. They advertise on baseball. They're all into, all American sports is into gambling. They just can't have a player gamble while he's playing because that may be to throw the game.
That is why he should have kept it at that. It makes a ton of money on the whole fantasy leagues. And in fact, you even see it on the on the walls yeah. uh, of the outfield, you know, advertising. Join this fantasy for this amount of money. Pay this. You could win this. It's gambling. Fantasy football, all these things, that's gambling. You pay money to win money. It's pure gambling. So stop it, Commissioner. Stop going around on, well, we're against gambling. No. Pete Rose is being punished and kept out of baseball because he bet on games, which meant that it raised the question of whether or not he was really trying to win. That's why he's out of baseball, not because the sport is against gambling. It's hypocrisy. All right. Well, we are Cincinnatians. Love that point of view. And by the way, speaking of Cincinnati, our musical group tonight is a group called Cincinnati Folk Singer and is Uptown Band. And we're going to ask those guys to come on in now. We're going to get them uh, set up. Going to hear a couple songs from Michael Hoffman. I think I have it right. And we also have Mike Conley and Aaliyah Burkhart. Ilya, pardon me, Ilya. Appreciate the correction there. And uh, Ilya, now, am I getting this right from uh, Russia, from Moscow? That's right. Wow, that's interesting. We're going to want to chat with you about that I only in know a one Russian word. What's that, Jerry? Garashki? Garashki? What's, what is that? It, it's a key that, yeah, it's a, it's a key that... Uh, oh, it's the, a key that the opens garage the garage. Key, the garage door. So yeah, you it's think a key that's that opens it. the garage. Okay. What do you think garage key Yeah, is? <laughs> All right, yeah. so you guys ready? So we have uh, the Cincinnati folk singer and his uptown band. Let's hear the first song. We're we got to keep getting guys. someone from Russia here. I'll never get to heaven when I die No, I'll never get to heaven when I die No, I'll 
Cincinnati folk singer and his Uptown Band. That's a good song. Who wrote that, by the way? I wrote, I wrote that one. That's, that's really interesting. I, I want to ask uh, some questions of Ilya as, as well. But first, to that song. And Jerry, I bet you would agree with us. That, that is so reminiscent of all the folk songs we heard, the sound. Yes theme of the song as well, yep. uh, from the 1960s. What, do those groups influence you when you write, for example? Or do you know those? Well, obviously, a Bob Dylan would be one example, right, but yeah. so many other groups that came out of that explosion of folk songs. I was, I was listening to uh, Grateful Dead, and that's kind of how I got into folk music. I used to yeah. play electric guitar, and then I saw they were playing a lot of folk songs, and uh, um, so they would do uh, stuff like going down the road, feeling bad. And right. Then, like, yeah. um, Are you Mike Conley, by the way? I'm Michael Hoffman. You're Michael Hoffman. Pardon me. Uh, so you and the Grateful Dead in their early uh, generations of their work, they were pretty folky. And then they. Right. And, kinda... and they were playing traditional music. So I found yeah. like, oh, like who wrote these songs? They're traditional songs. Yes. Yeah. Who else is playing those? And that was kind of my intro to folk music. So it was, it was like the six, like those 60s bands that were playing. Very cool. I mean, it really works. And we've talked about this many times on our podcast, but folk music connects with people Jerry's in my age, but then also to people your age. And how old are you guys? Uh, your 20s? Yeah, I'm, I'm 25. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it really has a lot no, of reach. I'm older. Jerry's a little bit older than that. <laughs> Ilya, uh, you're from Moscow, Russia. Yeah, I was born there. Tell us a little bit about that. What... So how old were you when you left there, for example? I was about nine months old. Okay, so uh, as a baby. So you have no... And have you gone back at all? No. That's yeah. why you didn't know what Garashki is. <laughs> right. you, well, we parked on the street when I was oh, a kid. Oh, yeah, he parked on the street. <laughs> Good for you. Do you have any interest in going back, or does your family? Uh, maybe if it wasn't such a mess okay. over there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's it's one it. of those places that the State Department advises you not go unless you have to, and so... You know, I just figure it's maybe better to not uh, not mess around. Most of my family actually came over here, and they all uh, actually live in Cincinnati now. Okay. So, all right. Did you come? Uh, uh, just a question. Did you? Because I remember in the uh, in the eighties, and then in the nineties when the wall fell, there was a lot of movement to bring um, Russian Jews to. Uh, and uh, are you part of that? It was exactly group? through that movement. The uh, I see. the Jewish Federation in yeah. Cincinnati had a big pro program of bringing uh, refugees I totally remember over, that yeah. and that is how our family ended up here well, and several other families that I know well welcome well. great Glad to have <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah yeah that's good that's great you. would you guys do a second song sure all right we'd love uh, to hear oh it. Donald Trump just called you can stay yeah <laughs> <laughs> luckily I don't need his opinion yeah he was, he was yeah, he was trying, yes he's trying to keep folk musicians out of the country yeah yeah, yeah. 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 But right. you guys you guys talk about uh, I think you guys talk about really important issues on this show I like yeah. the this podcast exists. Oh, and, uh, appreciate that. Uh, you know, as a songwriter, sometimes I put my opinions and bias in my songs. And uh, this is a song about when it just becomes too much and you jump in front of a train and end it all. It's called all right. I Lonesome Whistle. Yeah. That's uplifting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. all night and I woke this morning to the morning light if I can get home I promise I'll do right at least it's all right by me I'm in the hallway in beers I'm hung out to dry now look to my left I feel like crying we'll receive till the day runs dry for it we'll use the darkness till you see the light and it's all day every day I'm waiting for that high lonesome whistle to guide me home
voices of the poor, but you're too busy crying. Cause rain's knocking on your door. I don't remember what heaven's like. Is it quiet? Is it loud? Can you tell me something now? You pull one foot in front of the other, you can both feet on the track. When you hear that lonesome whistle blowing, you know that you ain't coming back. Cincinnati Folk Singer and his Uptown Band, and by the way, their latest album is self-titled, and you can find these guys on Facebook and Reverb Nation, and uh, we really appreciate it that you've come by and share your, your music with us during this episode. Yeah. Can you guys take us out on Irene Goodnight? We would love it. Be ready for Jerry Springer to jump in, too. Recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Good night. Good night.